Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. Molly is back from our conference and we have a ton of news to get through today. We have a ton of news. I was lonely not getting to talk about it. So it's a little bit of a jumbo show. First up, we're going to cover Coinbase CEO Brian Armstrong, who may have stepped in it a little bit on Twitter on Sunday. Yeah, about that QR, that amazing QR Super Bowl Sunday ad. And then Peloton CEO, the new CEO, uh, Barry McCarthy is doing all the right things, saying all the right things in this great New York Times article, especially about his plans to maybe make Peloton an open platform where anybody could produce content for it. Really great idea. Yeah, spoiler alert, we love him. Then we break down uh, about a dozen growth stocks that are down over 60% off their 52-week highs. Based off of a question on Twitter, we're going to each choose two winners from a group of roughly 60 companies. Which stock do we think has the highest upside and which has the lowest downside? Yeah, it's a great, great show. And uh, we'll take maybe a couple questions at the end. And we're going to talk about the new climate syndicate we're launching and Molly's favorite company from the conference, which was making coral. It's going to be a great show. Stick with us. This Week in Startups is brought to you by Our Crowd helps you invest early in pre-IPO companies alongside professional VCs. If you're interested in investing, you can join Our Crowd for free at OURCROWD.com slash twist. Squarespace, turn your idea into a new website. Go to squarespace.com slash twist for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code twist to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. And Odoo is a fully customizable and fully integrated suite of business apps that lets you build and scale your stack as you build and scale your business. Your first app is free forever. And right now, Odoo is offering $1,000 off your first implementation pack at odoo.com slash twist. That's odoo.com slash twist. All right, we're going to do a little a little bit of the Twitter dish, or oh, as boy. Jason likes to call it, we're going to find the fight because yes. <laughs> Coinbase's CEO, Brian Armstrong, got called out on Twitter by an agency claiming they were the inspiration behind that super buzzy QR code Super Bowl commercial. So on Sunday, about a week after, and in case you missed it, that was the Super Bowl ad that was just a QR code floating around the screen like Pong, changing color. It caused, in fact, my child to run to the TV and scan it immediately. Brilliant. It also was so popular. I know it was so popular, caused the app to crash because of so many downloads. So then on Sunday, uh, Armstrong tweeted a thread about the backstory, not content to take the win. He wanted to brag about the win also. <laughs> I'm going to just stop right there for a moment. Yep. I think right now, if a CEO is doing a tweet thread, pr- somebody should stop them. Someone should stop <laughs> These are not totally turning right. out to be good things anymore. You're totally right. Stop with the threads. The threads are like Please the stop. new apologies in like when you take a screenshot of your notes app. Yeah. It's like a red flag. The PR department, anytime a CEO of a tech company <laughs> types one slash, an alarm should go off. Really Wake nice. up every comms person. Wee, Go. Wee, wee, wee. Boop, boop. <laughs> oh no. Incoming thread. What's because the fallout really gonna be? It's either a horrible apology or flame bait. Like immediate flame bait. And yes. in this All case, right, here we go. this was that. Brian tweeted, some folks asked for the one slash. Some folks asked for details of how our Super Bowl ad came to be. And here is the quick backstory. In the thread, he mentioned all the ways in which the Coinbase team was inspired. And specifically called out the fact that, quote, no ad agency would have done this ad. 
None. Constraints breed creativity, he said. As founders, <clears throat> me, Brian, you can empower your team to break the rules on marketing because you're not trying to impress your peers at Ad Week or wherever. So Brian is like, I am such an awesome leader yes. that my team came up with this all by their dammies. Yes. And there's no way that some stupid old ad agency ever would have come up with this. What could he go wrong? He basically took the victory lap, which yep. would be absolutely fine to do. It'd be fine to take this victory lap right. for like your team. Tacky, but fine. Okay. But, you know, sometimes <laughs> you take a victory fine. lap. Yep. You put yourself out there. Hey, we did something great. I just want to reward my team. And uh, they did a great job in the face of nobody else doing it. The only problem was... Wah, wah. Oh. <laughs> Kristen Cavallo, CEO of the Martin Agency, responded and said, except an ad agency did do that ad. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Yeah. Uh-oh. <laughs> Brian goes so, on to say this was partially inspired, the, this being the QR code ad by Reddit's Superb Owl commercial at previous Super Bowls. Key insight was that you could only flash something on screen for a minute and then people will Google it. And how do we get them from TV to phone to convert with geniuses? And then Kristen Cavallo went on to respond again. It was actually inspired by presentations our agency showed your team on August 18th. See pages 19 to 24. <laughs> she's got and receipts. She's got receipts. And October 7th, pages 11 through 18, with ad concepts for the Super Bowl with floating QR codes on a blank screen. Mm. Brutal. Brutal. Uh, I can basically tell you what happened here. Because I know kind of how this goes down in terms of a leadership kind of situation. Brian was not involved in putting together these ideas. But somebody on his team didn't tell him where the ideas came from. And they mm -hmm. hired a bunch of agencies. He may or may not have been in those rooms. As you alluded to earlier, sometimes the CEOs of these companies are very busy and they delegate. Part of being a great CEO at scale is delegation. Sure. Yeah. Here's what happened. This is my Columbo because I can figure this stuff out. Uh, so you said that an agency could never have made this, Mr. Armstrong. Yeah, that, that, I, that's interesting <laughs> because the agency said they did make it and it was on the page of 19. So then how come you said that they didn't say it? And the answer is, which he doesn't want to say publicly, was somebody on his team lied to him uh, or didn't tell him the truth. That's what I actually like, huh? <laughs> Columbo with that. Nobody knows the Columbo reference. No, no one gets it. <laughs> Just watch Columbo episodes. They're brilliant. Uh, it's Peter Fogg is the greatest. Hi, right, so one more thing there, lady. You said you had the chicken palm. Gonna make you want like? a cigar. Exactly. <laughs> um, so that's what happened here. Then. He went rogue to write this because he was so pumped. And then somebody had to say, uh, boss, we made a mistake. Yep. It turns out we hired like 10 creative agencies over the last number of years or whatever number. Now, when you hire a creative agency, I just asked this question on Twitter and somebody who's at an agency explained it to me because I was like, who owns the IP? Is this a pitch or was this paid, right? Like, did they get pitched this and never open the PD? I started to think of every permutation, like, did they get, because I want to see the leaked deck. I'm dying to see these pages <laughs> and see how close the pitch was to the reality, right? Yeah, yeah. So I'm not saying somebody should leak this. I'm just saying if it was leaked, it would give me great joy. I, you know, I'm seriously not encouraging anybody to leak it. But <laughs> it, would, it would give me so much know? joy. <laughs> so I got dust in my eye. <laughs> but what somebody replied to me and explained was, listen, uh, actually, J. Cal, 
if they were doing two of these pitches, they would have been paid as a creative agency. Actually, if somebody wants to look in the replies to that tweet you just put up on screen at youtube.com slash this weekend, sign up for the pod, you can see us in video and we're all glory. Um, it, they said in the reply, they were probably paid. Now, when you're paid, I also was wondering who gets the IP. So if you pitch them, do they get all those ideas forever? And the answer is 99% of the time, yes. So mm. if you're being paid, it's like work for hire. They're, you're, they're just sending you ideas. Oh, and the, by the way, the Martin agency, I looked them up. Mm. They're like agency of the year the last two yeah, years, I think. Yeah. They're, they're like super legit. So they're too good to get erased. Let's just okay, so here, way. this is uh, Nilesh. Okay, so work of this depth is paid, says Nilesh Ashra. And the fact that there were two presentations, August and October, indicates this was certainly a paid creative retainer. Agencies get paid for ideas. Production is additional budget. 99% of the time, clients contractually own all the ideas. Yeah. And he's a W&K alum. So I guess yeah. that is uh, one of the agencies. So this actually, I think, is the most interesting part of it. You know, they probably pay them a quarter million dollars a year to come up with ideas. They came up with the ideas. And what probably happened was all the ideas get put in a bucket or a database or, you know, uh, a document somewhere, maybe without attribution, or maybe it's in the back of somebody's mind. And they say, hey, yeah, remember we were talking about that QR thing? Let's do that. Sure. But they never attributed it. So it probably wasn't done out of malice. And then the victory lap was done without full knowledge. So it was unintentional. But I, I didn't exactly like Brian's response. Brian should have named the agency. Yes, exactly. And should have then said he went on. Yeah, this is, the like, this is the mis this is the mistake on the mistake. Right, exactly. Like right? you're already, you've already stepped in it. And now you're yeah. smearing it all around the house. He says, although in tweets 12, although we didn't work with a traditional ad agency, mm -hmm. I'd be which. Okay, you want to so split the baby about a creative yeah, agency, creative which, versus, by the way, is an advertising agent. Like, it was the okay. agency of the year for two years, so. I'd They're be remiss, he says, remiss. not to mention the creative firm we worked with who actually created mm -hmm. the ad, commissioned the song, got the clearances, et cetera, et cetera. Honestly, felt like we were one team, mm -hmm. so I didn't fully realize it. Thank you. Yeah, so that kind of backs Doesn't up, name I think. Them. That, that backs up my thesis yeah. that this was unintentional. But I would say, Brian, and I think Brian's awesome, by the way, I actually really think he's a, usually a great communicator, even if people don't agree with a bunch of his stances. He should do another tweet storm. Oh, God. Uh, and the tweet you storm should be... No. I, I know, but this would be one that like we could workshop and maybe clear first. <laughs> one slash. I want to personally <sighs> thank the brilliant How about Kristen, one slash other people her name, have Kristen? good ideas, not just me? Because I'm okay, sorry, this came would, off as not only wanting to take credit for what his team did at the all. The dunking on the agency it, was the problem. No, yes. it comes across as him wanting all the credit for a thing that he evidently, even if your thesis was right, had zero involvement with. Like right. he looks like an egomaniac and actually kind of a not very detail-oriented CEO here. Okay. And that is and why that when he makes a mistake framing. like this on Twitter, people yeah. come for him. Because yeah, that's how it, he comes off like, sorry. A lot. I think that's the worst framing, but I understand people have that. I, I'm trying to be the most charitable here I and know. give him the exit ramp. Here's the exit ramp. All right. One slash. I would like to personally thank Kristen and her team at, what's the name of the agency again? The Martin Agency. At the Martin Agency. Two-time award-winning agency of the year for creating the most brilliant ad of the Super Bowl last year. Something we could not have done without them. They are solely responsible for the success of this ad. And I highly recommend other CEOs hire this extraordinary agency. Two, 
please put this on your website. Kristen and her team are brilliant. I give my uh, undying love and respect for the what they've done for my company. They get my highest, highest uh, recommendation. And the only reason I would not give them my highest recommendation is because I don't want to lose the time slot I have with their incredible, uh, incredibly brilliant folks. I am sending them a million dollars in Coinbase shares that they can do whatever they like with. Uh, give it to charity or give it to their exceptional team because we underpaid them for the value we got from this ad. That's how you yep. come back from this is you be absurdly really good, gracious. Really good off ramp. Yeah, you got to give an off ramp. I mean, yeah. I think that's one of the things that's missing in today's culture is like the exit strategy for people who screw up. Yeah. I want to like focus a, on that a bit more. I think that that is um, really smart and the way out of a lot of things. I think right now we're caught in a that that's 100% true. And the question is, whose responsibility is it to do that? Like we are caught in a loop right now of equal and opposite reaction, right? Like yes. you see something like that, you see somebody get so immediately defensive Demolished. and angry at Brian yeah. Armstrong because yep. of a series of actions that came before and whatever. So I, you know, I think people are asking this fair question, which is like, who's supposed to offer this off ramp? Should it be the company that did the work and didn't get any credit? Or should it be, you know, J. Cal from somewhere in the middle? And But I agree. Um, I mean, I we're not we'll going to get anywhere wood as long and as... Wood and Calacanis crisis communications. This I is like another it. wood and Calacanis crisis communication segment. Yes. <laughs> Can we make a little jingle for that? <laughs> I and mean, Molly honestly, and I will do crisis comms. Give us another crises that we could give our... We could brainstorm. I like the it. Joe Rogan one comes to mind as a juicy one. So Joe I think Rogan, we did a pretty good job with that. I think we did a pretty good which one. Which was like, take responsibility for the things you say. Yeah. On both of you. Yes. I think Joe did know. a pretty good job of crisis comms. I would give him an eight and a half. Because he did say, I don't prepare. I need to prepare. Mm -hmm. I need to put other voices on. I don't mind if it's tagged. <laughs> I think that was pretty good. I'm mm -hmm. trying to think if I could add anything to it. I mean, what I keep hearing over and over, and I completely agree, and I've said this a million times, is that the real story here is how completely unprepared Spotify was for this, for every part yes. of this. Yes. Which is which can which remains there's still work to do there. There's still work to do there. It's time for another R Crowd deal of the week. Right now, you can join R Crowd's investment in Future Family. According to the deal memo, Future Family provides millions of families with access to affordable treatment through buy now, pay later financing, or BNPL if you're in the industry, and they power 15% of fertility clinics in the U.S. Last year, they grew patients served by 300%, according to the deal memo, and now you can invest in Future Family at rcrowd.com slash twist. All around the world, companies like Future Family are innovating and driving returns for investors. Our crowd analyzes many of these companies, then they select the ones with the greatest growth potential, and they bring them to you. From personalized medicine to health tech, which is tackling the $60 billion global IVF and fertility treatment market. In state-of-the-art labs, startup garages, and anywhere in between, R-Crowd identifies innovators so you can invest when growth potential is greatest, which is early. So here's your call to action. If you're an accredited investor, you can join R-Crowd for free at OURCROWD.com slash twist, and then you get to review all the current deals. That's RCrowd.com slash twist to sign up for free. You know who does not need any lessons? in corporate communications or communications in any way so far is my new bestie peloton's new ceo barry mccarthy what a segue let's go this guy let's go what is a segue. incredible <laughs> oh my lord you stuck the landing you understood the assignment mom thank you 
It was a the New York Times event. sat down with Peloton's new CEO, Barry McCarthy, who I am increasingly obsessed with for his first interview since taking Yo, the job. Yo, Barry, come on the pod. We love you. Barry, come on the pod. I'm like about to buy a Peloton from this guy. I bought the right. half-price knockoff because I was like, I'm not in the cult. Barry, <laughs> if you in. come on the pod, I will buy a Peloton and give it away <laughs> to one of the people watching live. Come on the pod. And we'll do it live. I'm I'm dead serious. Come on the pod and we'll give away a Peloton live to one of the listeners. I'll pay for it. Love it. Love it. So not only does he continue to just be such a clear, concise, honest communicator, right? Like not a PR trained CEO at all. He's incredible. But also he hinted at some super exciting business moves for Peloton. He said, among other things, that Peloton might turn into an open platform for fitness creators, Mm -hmm. which is so smart. He's like, right now it's a closed platform, but it could be open. It could have be part of the creator economy. You could have an app store potentially. And then he also said that there's a universe in which he would bundle the hardware and this mm. full-fledged app service mm. as a subscription. So a Peloton, instead of it being 2,500 bucks up front and then $40 a month after that, maybe it's $80 a month. Yes. And that includes the hardware and these services. And I was like, I, I would to that immediately brilliant ideas and this brilliant. is like why you bring a finance person in finance person's like okay we can make this easier for people to buy it and make it more accessible there's credit facilities etc so anytime you get a really talented bar raiser and if you don't know about bar raisers read the book uh about amazon called um working, working backwards. backwards what a great book Read working backwards. Um, but anyway, there's a concept of bar raiser. You bring in a finance bar raiser like this, they get fresh eyes on the business. He had two powerful observations. Two. One, platforms make scale faster than proprietary systems. I.e., Airbnb is like a platform. Uh, app stores are platforms. Platforms grow while you're in bed because some in- somebody innovative does something innovative on a platform. Maybe there's somebody in some demographic. I talked before about going international. Maybe there's somebody in Japan who is the greatest spin teacher you've never heard of. Mm-hmm. And Peloton will get to them in 2028. But they don't want to wait. So they start Japanese language. Somebody fact check me if there's a Japanese language instructor. And they just started a Japanese version of Pel- uh, a, a, a Japanese class. Yeah. Japanese language class. Okay. You can wait to 2027 or you get that person on now and you just give them you know, a dollar for everybody who comes to the class, you know, capped at whatever number or whatever you just, or they're great. So you just hire them. Mm-hmm. But man, if you had it as a platform and other people could distribute on there, super powerful. And what if it was, Hey, you know, the Japanese instructor charges uh, 10 bucks a month. So you pay for your Peloton, but it's a, it's an add on. Or what if a celebrity decided to do it? What if Cardi B loves, you know, uh, or what if Jordan Peterson loves it? And he decides, you know, come on guys, let's go faster. I'm working on my Jordan Pearson. I mean, are you, are you are you baiting me with this? Like, what is happening? Um, I'm trolling you with Jordan Pearson. But like, anyway, whatever so the, LeBron the platform did, I would idea. Do, or Tom Brady, I would do that. Whatever he did. Like, it looks well, exactly. amazing. J-Lo. But it's really true. And like, what's so smart about it is that there are plenty of people out there who are buying a Peloton or a Mix or some bike mm. and not getting the subscription service because yes. they know that there's just as good content available on YouTube. If you don't care about it being live, then you can, you know, hang the iPad over the screen and go and get it on YouTube. So cut that off. Yep. Be like, actually, it's all available to everybody. And we're going to have a better rev share 
Come on, Molly. YouTube you know how many young you. men incels there are on Reddit <laughs> playing video games and getting no exercise? It's Jordan Peterson's spin class. Just intellectually class. exploring your inferiority. It's There's a guy who does a Jordan feelings. Peterson on TikTok that we just. I, I just want to interview him as Jordan Peterson and present it as a special episode of okay, just the interview. Let's stop Jordan. directing okay, anyway. all of our yeah. So there thing. is uh, the <laughs> anyway, platform Barry. play. Brilliant. Genius. And then there's the, uh, hey, how do we make this more affordable to people and build the base of users? Because mm -hmm. let's say they 10x the base of users, and then that Japanese uh, instructor goes on and gets, you know, 500,000 people in Japan to sign up yep. for $5 a month. Okay, now you've got another incremental $30 million coming in a year while you're asleep. While you're sleeping, you didn't have anything to do with it, which is what happens with Apple. Somebody releases an app on Apple. And, you know, com.com comes out and it gets a million subscribers and Apple's getting 30% of, you know, so they're making $3 million a month or whatever it is off of those subscriptions. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. They're also doing the super smart. I mean, he's also doing really good talent management too. He's mm. saying like, look, Foley, the last CEO mm. is a product genius. I don't always agree with him. He mm -hmm. had this great analogy. Actually, I kind of love this. He was like, for example... You know, John Foley gets up in our all hands and is like, we're a family. He's like, no, we're not. We're a sports team. There you go. Everyone here is expected to perform, work together, yep. kick ass and win. But if you are not performing, I'm going to cut you because mm. you're not family. Mm. And I was like, I love, like, I love this stuff. It's like more madmen. Um, well, it's. But he's it also saying, I am going to consult Foley all day, every day. We've talked three times today because he's a freaking genius and I mm. want him to optimize for the stuff he's good at yeah i mean uh, you, you, what happens when you build the team from scratch is you put each person in and then you're just not objective about their performance because you drafted them and you trained them and you watched them work and so it's just a natural thing to be in love with your draft picks you know and and y if they're like hey we got to trade this person to get this player who's better it's hard for you because you spent that time scouting them and, and building them up and you know, it's just hard to cut them. So the analogy that if you there, there is a pro to having a family business. Um, and it's for small businesses, mm -hmm. where you want to have longevity, and you want to have it feel like a family business, like a restaurant where people come in and everybody knows your name. So that that's where that comes from, right? But it fails at an at scale company with this many shareholders, that's failing, you need to have a performance based uh, environment. Mm hmm. And I think that was th that was part of the Netflix leadership culture. That was shout out to um, Nick. Remind me of the name of our of the woman who wrote the culture book. Erin before Erin Meyer. No, Erin Meyer did the book. She was the one from the French University who wrote the book. We read Hastings, but before that, Patty McCord was the HR person who would drive to Netflix every day with Reed and discuss and created the philosophy and, mm. and basically codified it. Erin is the one who studied it. So they're both incredible books. So Aaron's book is No Rules Rules with Reed Hastings. I would say <clears throat> that Powerful is the better book because it, it is sort of like the source materials. Uh, I give it a slight edge, but I would read both um, because Patty McCord is like a hardcore HR person who was like, listen, it's, a, it's not a family, it's a team. I think she's the one who came up with that. Oh, really? It's great. Yeah. But then Aaron does a really good job of analyzing and questioning all the stuff. So they're, they're kind of like bookends. Uh, but here oh, it is. Yeah. We're, We're a team, team not a family. family. This is the culture deck from Netflix. And so well, one day we'll go through the culture deck as just like um, an interesting segment, I think. 
But uh, we're a team, not a family. We're like a pro sports team, not a kid's recreational team. Netflix leaders hire, develop, and cut smartly so that we have stars in every position. There you go. And this is a quote <laughs> from Patty. We, we decided to use the metaphor that the company was like a sports team, not a family. Just as great sports teams are consistently scouting for new players and calling others from their lineups, our team leaders would need to continually look for talent and reconfigure team makeup. So... Now, do we need to be mad at Barry because he didn't credit Patty McCord with this, the identical metaphor? <laughs> no, I think I it's, know, I know, he I was know, the no, CFO, wasn't sure. he? Oh, oh, you're making a callback. I'm Go making well a callback. You made a callback and I didn't That was get a it. Call, cool your jets, commenters. That was a comedic yeah. callback. Callback. But yes, uh, I, I wonder if he did say... Uh, and yeah, Barry, Barry was at Netflix yes, at the time that this theory was developed. Anyway, whatever. It was literally a joke. We I should do a show also on the Netflix mafia. Not, you know, everyone's I wonder to make where those all shows. the Netflix mafia wound up. That would be a really interesting uh, double click is like, where did they want all wind up? Because they're just sick yeah. operators. I mean, they have the most cutthroat uh, for Silicon Valley, like particularly yeah. jarringly cutthroat approach, like makes Amazon look, you know, uh, a little docile by comparison because they made everybody, I don't know if you know about this, Molly. Everybody has to reapply for their job every year. Yeah. That's a totally. little hardcore. Even uh, Justin, uh, producer Justin saying in the Slack that even Patty had to leave the company. <laughs> what? She's like, yeah, I'm not. I, well, maybe she was just like, yeah, maybe my time here is. Yeah. Oh, when more Hollywood. Got it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I mean, the skill set went from being a pure tech recruiter to needing to understand how to work with different types of talent and teams to manage that. She, that was no longer in her core skill set to be. Since the the key part was content development, she yeah. acknowledged that she didn't have that skill set. Wow, awesome! All right, uh, anything else on Peloton? Um, no, except I can't wait to see what keeps coming. In fact, even now they announced games. Did you see this? They announced sort of like a Beat Saber oh. ride along game, which then oh, really? of course caused my child to come home and be like, "We have to get rid of our crappy one and get a Peloton." I was like, "Yeah, okay." Wait, what? Life there's is a ride along easy. game. It's, it looks like Beat Saber, like you're riding along and I think ah, you hit little, cool. I don't know, I just see a screenshot, but I'm sure there's a video of it somewhere. Anyway, mm. so they're making moves, is all yeah, I need yeah, to say. Yeah, great. I mean, making that moves. would be good for yeah, people who, are, who like that style of gamification, not competing mm -hmm. against other people, but competing against themselves. Really smart. Yep. Yep. Brilliant. Listen, Squarespace is the one platform where you can build and sell anything. You all know that Squarespace is the greatest. We'd love it here at launch and we've been using them for tons of different projects. Whenever we got to pop up a quick website, well, we use Squarespace and they have three amazing features I'll highlight for you today. E-commerce. Obviously, Squarespace has the tools you need to get your business off the ground. This includes e-commerce templates, inventory management, advanced analytics, and a super simple checkout process. Plus, secure payments, kind of obvious, but you're going to need those, right? And mobile optimization. All websites are optimized for mobile out of the box, whether you're on iPad or on a phone or anything in between, it's going to look great on any device. That's what they're known for is those beautiful websites. And Squarespace now has member areas, a new feature where you can connect your audience and generate revenue through gated members only content, like selling a subscription to an unlimited cooking class with exclusive tutorials and recipes. Whatever you're into, you can sell it now as content on Squarespace. Member areas lets you manage your exclusive members, send email communications and leverage audience insights. So whether you're selling products, information or content, Squarespace is the easy to use platform for you. 
Just head to squarespace.com slash twist for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use that offer code twist, T-W-I-S-T, to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. All right, now we're going to give some ill-advised investment advice. I'm just kidding. It's not. (laughs) Disclaimer, this next segment of the show should not be taken as investment advice from qualified professionals. However, a thread went viral over the weekend where people on Twitter were choosing which tech stocks of the ones that were down over 60% off their one-year highs were the best investments going forward. And Jason and I actually did a version of this when we did Mm. some of Yes, No IPO and we talked about whether you you know would choose Netflix over crypto yep. actually as like a five or ten year hold. So Twitter user Buco Capital, named after Artie Buco of The Sopranos, tweeted the following over the weekend: a list of sixty companies who have seen pullbacks from their one year highs, and said, "Gun to your head, you're all in on one business mm. here. Which one, and why?" Yeah. And we got a good list here of companies. Obviously, I have a position in one or two of these. I'll disclose those as we go. And this great correction of 70, 80%, it's basically a massive crash. Let's just be honest. It's a, Mm -hmm. we have a crash in growth stocks. Now, what's a growth stock? Growth stocks are kind of these mid cap, you know, call it a billion to $10 billion companies typically could be as high as 50 billion, you know, depending on which time frame we're talking about here, they could have been 50 and compressed down to 10, like many of them have. But these are the ones with billions in revenue, not the Fang, not, you know, the Teslas, not the Googles, not the Apples, we're talking about, right. you know, the mid market companies, whether it's Zoom, Peloton, Coinbase, Robinhood, etc. Some and some some lesser, you know, Clover Health, there's mm. actually there's Virgin Galactic, I think yep. is in here. Yeah, Virgin sure. Galactic is in there down uh something crazy anyway clever health down 93 percent. i lost it in this list but so wish down 91 percent hood down 86 percent and these are from peaks down 84 percent yeah and i there was one thing i would note here is that there i would say most of these are artificially high because Mm -hmm. there was this moment at the top of the peak where things went up like you know let's call it 20 percent of these 80 percent drops that was completely ridiculous and lived for like a week or two. And it was, I remember seeing it with the Robinhood stock. I think Robinhood peaked at like 60 or 70, but for like one day, yeah, 85 was the peak. And it was crazy. Like, in, yeah, it was right after the IPO. It did this crazy peak. It was like maybe some people had automatic buying or something going on, mm-hmm. or maybe everybody on Robinhood wanted to buy a share or something. She had this weird behavior. So I think looking at, if you bl- if you took out just like, Whatever the peak of these stocks were for like one week, I bet you these would be very muted because there was a little bit of a mania that happened. Well, yeah, I mean, GameStop is in here and so is Viacom and it's like, oh, are they down 70%? Kel surprise. So a little bit of it. But this question of like, if you Mm. had to pick, Mm. producer Nick was nice enough to volunteer to do a little analysis on 10 of these companies, roughly. Um, I'm sorry, a dozen. And... We and challenge us to pick our top two. Okay. Starting Very with, simple, Robin, yeah. with Robinhood. Yeah. I mean, Robinhood, obviously, I'm a shareholder and was an angel investor in and invested mm-hmm. before they went public. You know, this, I think the proper valuation of a company like this would be 30 billion. It's at 10 billion right now. If you look at it, uh, the price to sales ratio on the current market cap for 2021 revenue is 5x. You know, I could see that being 10 or 15. But they did have this peak when everybody was trading. 
like crazy during the pandemic. So there's some pandemic stocks here. I think Shopify falls into that as well, where people were doing a lot of e commerce, uh, Mm because they were stuck at home, and then they couldn't go to stores. So I look at a company like Robinhood, uh, like I look at Airbnb, you know, you have that like, weird pandemic behavior, and kind of got to draw the straight line as opposed to the spike. But I still think it's a great company. I haven't sold my shares. uh, And I'm going to hold for 10 years is my current plan. So So that's when you think in decades, you know, I like to think in decades. Mm-hmm. And I think a decade from now, they will have five, 10 times as many users, I could see them having 50 to 100 million users. Um, and I can see those people having a lot of money in their accounts as they grow. So that's definitely going to be a, one of my top twos, I think Twilio. Another interesting one. Mm-hmm. Twilio down 65% from its 52 week high of $457 a share market cap 28.5 billion. 2021 revenue 2.8 billion. Mm. up 61%, but the net loss was 950 million, two times larger than 2020, yeah. which was yeah, a bad year for most yeah. people. I think, you know, I don't even look at the losses in these companies unless they're mm. like, really, really, like, there's no way for this business to be profitable. The first two businesses, they obviously can be profitable. So um, uh, it can be highly profitable, I believe. So, you know, Twilio at uh, 10 times sales, it's a decent valuation. It's at 10x right now, right? Yeah. 2.8 and yeah. 28 billion. It's almost 28. exactly 10. Like almost exactly. I know. This yeah. is the kind of math I love. Yeah. So that feels that feels kind of directionally correct. I think okay. if you were thought it was going to be a great company, you could go as high as 15. And then if you were more conservative, you could be 7, 8, 9, 10. Uh, but yeah. that feels like an okay buy if you were going to hold it for 10 years. This is, but remember, this is, you're all in. On this. I know. That's what I got to think you about You only here. get to do exactly. Yeah. So there's a strong vote for Robinhood. That was like sort of a, that was a lukewarm, I'm going to say for Twilio. Zoom. Let's yeah. look at Zoom. Down 70% from its 52-week high, which I think we can all agree was mm-hmm. inflated in the sense that everybody was like, oh, crap, there's only one company in the world right now. <laughs> that thing is Zoom. Yep. Its stock price, though, is at, still at $128 a share, market cap $38 billion. Um, last 12 months revenue was $3.9 billion, up two times over the mm-hmm. prior 12 months. The question is, are they going to keep at it? It sounds like big whale customers are growing for Zoom, sure. but it's growth with smaller customers has stalled. They don't want to pay for it. Yeah, I think there'll be a lot of free options, but I think Zoom will become a platform. I don't know if you saw they have the app store now. And there's a lot of people doing like, conf- you know, online conference software, AirMeet, um, and uh, Hopin would be two of them. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of those businesses are going to be challenged uh by zoom wanting to be in that business a bit and zoom will keep adding features so i can see zoom becoming in a way like uh aws where like zoom is your video conferencing layer on your computer and everything is kind of built on top of that in a way like slack is so i I see it as a platform play i do think some of those custom softwares like hopin and airmeet will always be ahead on features so they'll get the high-end customers but maybe the lower-end customers will want to use the the features that are free in zoom uh, or more likely, Zoom and AirMeet and Zoom and Hopin will have like some shared DNA. I mean, I love the idea of Zoom becoming a platform. That's super yeah. interesting because you could imagine, I mean, it's one thing to sort of have APIs where it can plug in, like you can schedule a Google Calendar and it's like, make it a Zoom meeting. That's great. And has plugins with Calendly. But if it also started to incorporate more productivity features, mm-hmm. like messaging more to-do than list. just the chat, to-do yeah. list. Uh, persistent messaging would be the taking, big one. Persistent messaging, exactly. Like if it started to be a little bit of a Slack or a communications platform, then all of a sudden, or what if when it's you? Real what if I could swap out Slacks 
you know, kind of, you know, pretty basic yeah. video conferencing and say, you yeah. know, like on your phone, you pick, uh, you want to use which browser you want to use. Slack should just make it so I could pick I use Slack's native video conferencing or I use Zooms. And mm -hmm. then when I do a Zoom, when I do a little huddle or a conference call in Slack, it's a Zoom. You yeah. know, and you get the Zoom interface and the features I like with Zoom and and whatever other plugins are in Zoom then are kind of passed on to Slack. That would be kind of dope, wouldn't it? Yes. That would be yeah. super cool. Like Zoom yeah. with a better Slack is better than Slack with a better Zoom, if that makes yeah. sense. I yeah. mean, and then that's the other possibility. Zoom just says, hey, listen, you logged in with at launch.co or at, you know, whatever startup name at This Week in Startups. And here's a list of everybody at This Week in Startups. So when Zoom is loaded, there's just by default a chat room of all the This Week in Startups email addresses. That'd be amazing. Like, why that not make be it amazing. persistent? Like, it could be like, yeah, I, I see it more like Yahoo Messenger or AIM or S Skype in its functionality as opposed to a right. bunch of channels, but why not a bunch of channels? But Zoom, but like, does that feature Calendly. Yeah, I mean, you could put a calendar into it. I could see them using Zoom as a jump off point to build an office suite, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, mm -hmm. why not have a, I mean, building a word processor is super easy. So if you had a built in word processor, a note taker, like yeah. you mentioned, well, what about a built in spreadsheet? So maybe buy Zoho office or something like that, buy one of those office suites and, and incorporate it in it could be kind of interesting. I know zoom mm. is all of a sudden a lot more interesting. And, and as uh, Nick points out, very profitable. So they do have money to invest and maybe build out more of a business ecosystem. Yeah, which would be pretty sexy. All right, square, let's keep it rolling square or yeah. block. Uh, Love Square. Again, I, own, I own some shares in Square. For this is all in. This is an all-in yeah. situation. Stock price ninety four dollars a share, down sixty seven percent from mm -hmm. its fifty two week high of two hundred eighty nine dollars a share. Market cap fifty four billion dollars. Uh, revenue is double the prior mm -hmm. twelve months. Potential risk factors are that Square's revenue from staking Bitcoin made up about sixty percent of its total revenue. In the first nine Whoa. months of 2021. Yep. So the, mm -hmm. the I think the biggest risk factor here is Square's potential pivot mm. into all crypto all the time. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't think they're going to go all crypto all the time. I think it's like more of an additive thing and like a future bet. So 60% of total revenue in the first nine months of 2021. It's yes, that is a big number. That feels to me like that just feels to me like a moment in time. I wonder if they can keep that up. Mm -hmm. And if you don't know, uh, according to Barron, Square buys Bitcoin and it takes a small margin on each sale to customers on the Cash App. So if you're a Cash App customer, you buy some Bitcoin, they get a little margin on that, which seems fair to me since they're floating all that Bitcoin. But they're also only trading at, if they have 16 billion in revenue and they're 54, they're trading like three times. So yeah, it, it's pretty, it's, a, it's the lowest so far uh, of sales to valuation. So they do. I mean, I think that a fully focused Jack Dorsey is a blessing or a curse with it with, because of his focus on turning this thing from square mm. into block. Got it. It's so, a risk factor. Yeah, he could make the he might he's capable of making a huge bet like Meta did and yep. it being the mistake. So he could, he could bet the house. I don't. Yeah, that's an interesting observation, actually. You know, just saying. This, if this is if I only can pick the one kind of risk factor I like, I'll be honest, I kind of like that risk factor of somebody who would make a bold bet and it's capture big. like exactly. a big business. Like it's big and fun and exciting. Yeah. Listen, when you start scaling revenue quickly, your company needs to be run professionally. And Odoo is the software that helps you maintain control of your fast running business. Odoo is a suite of business apps where you can run your entire company 
from just one platform. This means you don't need to keep adding siloed SaaS products. Everything you need is there waiting for you to turn on when you're ready. Sales, accounting, HR, website builders, and so much more. You're going to streamline everything by bringing your apps onto one platform. No more issues transferring data between platforms. And you'll have one customer support contact across all of your apps. Plus, if you only need two or three apps to optimize your workflow, that's all you're going to pay for. Odoo has over 30 main apps and over 16,000 apps from their open source community. And the best part? Your first app is free forever. And Odoo is offering a $1,000 credit on your first implementation pack. Just go to odoo.com slash twist for $1,000 off. That's O-D-O-O.com slash twist. Open door. Let's keep rolling. Open okay. door. Stock price $10 a share, down 65% huh? from its 52-week high. Market cap $6.5 billion. Uh, revenue at $4.4 billion, up mm-hmm. 90% mm-hmm. year over year. Purchased 15,000 homes in Q3. That was up 79% over Q2 and launched five new markets in Q3, up to 44 markets total. It's a brilliant business idea. We're not making new homes. I think in terms of how clever the idea is, this is going to be in the top of my list for like, like good timing to be a market leader in something. Mm-hmm you know, owning these homes, buying them, and then making it really easy to sell them. It's a really good idea. And I'm just a fan of Keith Raboy and his operational ability. The market cap is absolutely destroyed. Nobody believes in it. So part of like betting the farm on this stuff, I guess we have to define if you had to bet the farm, are you going for preservation of capital or increasing capital? Right. So if you were going for preservation, maybe that's the way we should uh, pick our two, which one would you pick as the preserving capital? You know, you, you want to give your kids something, right? Uh, leave something for your kids, or which one could have the most explosive returns? Hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's pretty interesting. And open door has some open door is super interesting, because that's such a wide open field to be to in case you don't know. I mean, it's literally just makes it super easy to sell by and finance your house. And it's disrupting this kind of real estate market that involves like huge percentages on each side of the transaction. That is an industry ripe for disruption for sure. But there are dependencies here, including the housing market that if we're talking about a, the all, you know, you can only pick one or you can only pick two in over a decade. Hmm. We have to assume based on historical patterns that there's going to be some ha- kind of a housing crash. So what does that do to them? Housing crash might arguably make their business better. They could buy up more homes lease them um, and they know how to buy homes low so even if the housing market crashed maybe that would give them some opportunity it's really interesting to think i think they should steal the picasso model are you aware of picasso the Mm -hmm. uh time trade so i was going to do this when i was looking at uh, buying a ski house they take a house they create eight shares i had the founder on the pod uh, before you joined me as co-host and so let's say it's a five million dollar house which is kind of what they're going for is the like you know high-end homes Mm -hmm. in a destination you divide by eight that's how many days you get they charge you like maybe 10 percent more Uh, that's how they make their profit on setting up the home then the eight people own the home and open door manages it so then you Mm -hmm. have an app and let's say you own two shares i owned one share you would have a quarter of the days i'd have an eighth a quarter of 365 days you get the idea 10 percent of it would be 36 days so a quarter would be you know two and a half times that so you'd have like almost 100 days in this house I would have less and you then book it in an app. And then if there's like ski weeks or holidays, I think they 
have prime days and it manages it through an algorithm. Like, so if you get Christmas this year, I'll get it next year, you get Easter, I, whatever the, 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 the prime days are. Um, what it does is it makes owning a second home accessible to the people who maybe aren't there yet, or they have a more efficient use of the second home and it's better for the planet, right? Like you have a lot of affluent people buying second ski right. homes that they use, you know, X they number of days need. a year. Yeah. And it's kind of a waste, right? Uh, so Picasso CEO Austin Allison uh, was on episode 1288 in September of 2021. They got banned in Napa uh, for being like a timeshare. I think it was Napa. They, the NIMBYs up there really hated it, which is kind of dumb because then you're just gonna have rich people buy up all the homes and not be there. So it's more efficient to have it divided by eight. But this is something that Open Door could do with homes yeah. and then even put some of them into the Airbnb inventory. So imagine in this theoretical, you know, let's pick a house in a destination you might want to go for a week or two, let's say two weeks a year, um, Palm Springs, mm -hmm. you get Palm Springs house, you know, you, you sell half the days to the ownership group, and the other half days you put in an Airbnb, yeah. and you have somebody managing the home and they're managing 20 homes, it's better for society. So this is what open door should be looking at. I think they should go hard into that area. I think they should. I mean, I, I still maintain there are some headwinds and not least of them might be I mean, that NIMBYism isn't going to go away, but nor is, I think, pressure on figuring out housing stock because you are having yeah. a lot of investors buy housing stock. And I feel like at some point, regulators are going to come for that. Oh, yeah, it's, it's on it's the radar. You're absolutely right. It's a national right. crisis, you know, housing stock, housing availability and prices. There so, have always been these, what do they call them, shadow buyers or something? There's this yeah. like group of people who've always been buying them as investments. So they'll buy up a bunch of homes and, you know, then take them right. off the market and then sell them later. So they're, they're actually- but now you have like massive hedge fund yeah, investments in it and, you know, yeah. yeah Zillow so, got their asses handed to them in this space. Yep. And, and again, Zillow is also should be on this list, Long-term right? risk here. I guess Zillow, yeah, I wonder if Zillow is in- Zillow got demolished. They're down 60, 70, 80% as well. I know. I don't see them in the tweet, I don't think. Keep going. Roku, Roku, Roku. Ouch. Down 75%. They've gotten yeah. totally demolished. Uh, market cap 16 billion, 2021 revenue 2.7 billion, which puts Eight. their price to sales at 6x. Not bad. Yeah. 60 million active accounts. I don't. I don't know what they're paying. I think that just means people are using it. I hate hardware businesses. I know they have their own ad network, and I think people are very excited about that because streaming is growing. Uh, but man, they're up against Samsung, Apple TV, other built-in platforms. Every TV, I see that's, you know, if you look at a remote control on a TV now, it's like, there's a Netflix button, Amazon Prime button, a Disney mm -hmm. button, those people pay for that. I mean, in the future, wh who's buying Roku's? I don't understand who needs this. Is it somebody with an old TV? I think that's what it is. I mean, I think that, well, it's, or Roku is built into TVs. Like my, see, my TCL has oh, does Roku. It? It's a Roku mm. TV. Got it. So I think that their, <laughs> their hmm. only future is in TVs and smart devices, but that's slower sales than the box. Yeah, I, this is Roku, I think, to me, doesn't feel like a long term. I mean, they're actually expecting and predicting that revenue is going to continue to decrease. Hmm. They're expecting a 30 million loss in Q1 2022. That hmm. revenue will decrease 16% quarter over quarter. Yeah, this seems like the worst possible business you could be in. <laughs> I, no, only because but it's true. you're up against, you a know, lot. you're up against a lot of headwinds here. I, mm -hmm. I kind of wonder, you know, does anybody really need this anymore? And how hard is it to build this functionality into a TV? So you said you have a, what was the brand of TV you had that had a built TCL. in? TCL. 
Mm-hmm. I've never even heard of a TCL TV, um, but I wonder, I know Sony and Samsung are two of the top players and they have their own built-in right. proprietary Which concept. Which is awful. Like, smart yeah, hub. Like I'd rather have the TCL. It's not proprietary. It's just Roku, yeah. right? Like yeah. it's, and then, mm-hmm. then pretty much every platform is available on it, except for when YouTube and Roku, Roku get into a big, huge fight which is yet another headwind for Roku Got it. Yeah. that, you know, they, they're, they've been having a lot of fights with Google about whether they can have YouTube or YouTube TV. It's like, so, but the, the issue is what would Samsung or Sony ever bundle or have they ever bundled Roku? Feels to yeah. me like they haven't, nor would they, cause they consider this their business to be in. And, and I'm the more wondering, there's smart TV advertising attached to this, there's no scenario in which people are going to want to continue to outsource that to a third party. Like DCL does it because they're a budget TV maker with, uh, you know, and they're from China and they don't haven't built their own, I think, like operating system for TVs. But I don't think that's enough of a high margin business for Roku mm-hmm. long term. Apple was rumored to be in the TV business. I'd heard that from a bunch of folks, insiders back in the day. They were looking at it in the Steve Jobs era of actually. Apple TV being an Apple TV, right? Because they really had great design. I mean, who wouldn't buy one of those if you're an Apple fan? Mm -hmm. I wonder why Apple wouldn't go to because I know Apple TV plus the content is now I see defaulted on a bunch of services. I wonder if it's Samsung and Sony who wouldn't put build an Apple TV into their products. But if I was Apple, Man, uh, if you could cut a deal with Samsung, I guess mm-hmm. they're mortal enemies on the smartphone basis, so it's not possible. But if they went in and went to all these TV makers like TCL and said, hey, we'll put Apple TV yep. in here yep. and we'll pay for it. Yeah. And you could sell or we'll make it only 50 bucks for you. I mean, Apple TV getting more market share would be brilliant for Apple. Mm-hmm. But they don't think that way. They don't no. think about like they that kind of wide distribution. I know. I mean, it Somebody really, like I wrote a piece about it, how it's really the innovators dilemma with Apple. Like they are kind of trapped in a box right now. And that box is about this big yeah. and runs iOS, you know? I'm actually thinking Apple is the best. Long term. Uh, st- yeah. You know why? Yeah. I just feel like, I feel like they're going to get all of our talk about the goggles. Mm-hmm. And the more we've talked about it, the more I like, I've got Kool-Aid in my veins. I've got the Apple Kool-Aid <laughs> in my veins. I just think they're going to nail it like they did the iPad and iPhone. I think they're going to make a brilliant product. Yeah, that is going to surprise everybody because they're taking their time. I think it's going to just be a function step better than anything we've seen. I really don't. And like, you know, to defend the focus on the little box, like that has that keeps Apple so relevant because they are just in front of every consumer all the time there no phone maker can come along and disrupt them at this point. They're not going to get disrupted until we get rid of phones. And they're probably the ones who are going to make the thing that gets rid of phones. So, I mean, I agree in terms of like a super long-term bet. I think they're not on this list because they didn't lose enough. (laughs) For obvious reasons, they didn't tank. I thought, though, one of the ones we did not. So we also did this analysis with Stitch Fix, Roblox, Peloton, Affirm, Mm. and Bumble. Mm. But we didn't do one of the ones that was on this list that I, if I really had to go all in in the long term. it's on the bigger list, but we didn't do the breakdown is CRISPR. Mm. Like, interesting. Wh- why not CRISPR? I mean, the, whole, the body, like, we're talking about computing platforms like phones and glasses. Now, CRISPR is the general word for the technology, but there is a company CRISPR? There is a company, CRISPR Therapeutics uh, AG. I'm looking uh, at it. Now. Let's see, in 2019. $4 billion dollar market cap. 
price mm -hmm. to earnings ratio of 12x, but price to sales, I don't have their sales number here, 52 week high 169. So it's now trading, to, it's more than two thirds off. Yeah. Its investors yeah, include German chemical company Bayer. Mm. Um, and it is the co-founders, one of the co-founders, Emmanuel Charpentier, shared mm. the Nobel Prize in chemistry with Jennifer Doudna. Okay. I just think they have several drugs in development. I'm reading from Wikipedia. One uh, treats a rare blood disorder. Sickle cell disease is one of the things that it can treat. And then let's see, yep, so safety and efficacy. I just think like the potential, obviously, of the body as a platform, a computing platform, and a company that is taking advantage of that and has the potential. Okay, I like to really that as your wild, that's your wild card pick. That's my wild card. All that's right. my gun to my head, all in wild card. Um, all right, from the rest of the list, I don't think I have to go through this too hard, but yeah. Peloton is down eighty percent. It's at a nine point five market cap. Berry, we talked about it earlier in the show. Berry. It's only trading at 2.3x. And they got this new superstar CEO. I think we both like that one a lot. Roblox is down 67% from a crazy high. They're down to $46 a share, which I think is their, what was their IPO? Was it 46 or 45 or something? 35? It was 35. So they're kind of back to their IPO price. Mm. Uh, all that value has been knocked out. But they have a lot of revenue, 1.9. But that's a high market cap considering that. So... 14x really interestingly 45 million daily active users is bonkers yep i mean they, that's the thing about that company is it's a sleeper it's got all that pent-up energy and that's got to come to the bottom line at some point you think and right? the average roblox user spent two and a half hours per yeah. day on the platform in 2021 it's, although to be fair eventually all of those children did have to go back to school so I think, yeah, <laughs> bummer. <laughs> that's wah, the COVID. Wah. That's that COVID at home. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's when no one cared about screen time anymore. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Parents were just like, "I just need to survive this. Get, you can have your iPad until four in the morning. I don't care." <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, easy. open platform, like all of that is great, but I don't know. If and you they, know, while we're recording this, uh, you know, the 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 saber rattling continues uh, in Europe and. The Nasdaq is down 1.75, Dow down 1.83%. Right. So these things could even be more on sale than we're even talking about now in the coming weeks. All right. All right so let's Nick just is, go for it. Nick is trying to focus us here on our final choices. The first say we do. that's most upside for appreciation. Okay. And then the second is safest bet to not lose money. Okay. From, does it have to be from this list? I know. I think you can pick from the ones we highlighted because those I'm were like rules. <laughs> no, and anything that's on that list of 80. All right. Or whatever. Yeah. yeah. I am. Um, okay. I'm, look, I'm going through that as well. Yeah. Well, let's see. I'm going to be a little biased here. Mm -hmm. I feel like Robinhood has the most upside. Um, I still believe in the company. I know the founders. I think they're brilliant marketing people. I think it'll be, you know, a $250 billion company uh, 10 years from now, 25x, mm -hmm. I could see it going uh, at least 10x to 100 billion. So that's why I'm holding my shares. I think, you know, if the stock market doubles in the next 10 years, or if it has an incredible run again, and it triples, I would think that this would be a market beating company based on the management and the fact that they've got 17 million people. It's incredibly hard to get 17 million people to have active accounts uh, with money in them in finance. Those are like much more valuable than a Netflix subscriber or a free, you know, Spotify user, let's say in my mind. Yeah. So Robinhood's my upside choice. And I'm still thinking about which one I think has the lowest downside, you know, and, and a consumer product typically could be one that catches fire 
-hmm. and a SaaS product would be one that has less risk because SaaS is generally more stable, right? SaaS is like farming and consumers like finding a needle in a haystack, you know, it's like splitting arrows. So hmm. who do you got for your safety? And who do you got for your, which one do you want to do first, your safety or your Man. Uh, upside? I mean, I think my upside is CRISPR. Okay. Even though we Love didn't it. go through all there. I just think like, mm -hmm. I like it. I'm not betting bet. against that. Um, it's a bold bet then, on the future, right? Yeah, I like it. Yeah. Now I'm safety. Gonna, I'm going to bet on our long-term health, but my safety mm. is a tougher one. I mean, if we're if we're talking about a 10-year horizon, as much as I love what Barry's doing, like it's hard for me to imagine Peloton no. staving off pick. all competitors for 10 years. I wouldn't know? pick a consumer company because consumers no. are fickle. And yes. so there's not safety in consumer because consumers will flip-flop. They'll use Facebook one day and then Instagram and then TikTok. And they're, you know, they'll take their two or three hours from Minecraft and put it on Roblox. They'll take it from Roblox and yeah. put it on VR next. Who knows? Exactly. Consumers are fickle and they're flighty and um, they like shiny new objects. Now, Zoom and Twilio. I know. I think those are, are the, the ones two. I like yep, uh, in you. that area. Yeah. So looking at those two, you have to ask yourself, which one do you see people not churning from or competition? Yep. I think it's very easy to churn from Zoom to use Microsoft Teams because I have a couple of boards I'm on where they use Microsoft Teams and they get a Microsoft Teams, not a Zoom invitation. And I'll be honest, makes no difference to me. Uh, and I think they're going to fix Hangouts uh, at Google. And so I could see headwinds there, but I don't see any natural competitor for Twilio except Amazon, but Twilio seems to be sharper and you know, uh, goes into a, a deeper software layer. So I'm going to go with my long term safety bet being Twilio. I don't think that that 2.8 billion in revenue is at risk in any way. And I only see it going up. Because yeah. once you build that stuff into software, it's hard to rip out and replace. It's not impossible. But you would only rip out and replace it if there was a much better product, not 10, 20, 30% better, but you know, two, three times better. And you certainly wouldn't rip it out for cost unless there was something that was you know, three, four, five X cheaper. And uh, Jeff, the founder still there. I think he's a world class CEO. Zoom also founder led. So that's something. But what do you think? Maybe I don't understand enough about what Twilio does, because I have a hard time understanding how it's not displaced by like Twilio is not cloud services, right? It's like communications and yeah, it's more like Amazon Web Services for email, SMS, mm -hmm. and then segment, right? They bought segments. So they got this like collection of the industry leading brands for mm -hmm. doing communications inside of your software platform. So it would be very analogous to, you know, I think if you look at Amazon Web Services, they have compute and storage. And then there's these communication layers. And, and Amazon does have an email gateway product. It's just not as good. Yeah. Um, and they're not as focused on it because it's one of, you know, X number of things. But they do have com competition. So I guess now that I'm talking it through with you, the question <laughs> is, huh, maybe I'll change my decision. The question is, which one do you think is, if you're going for the long-term safety, do you think e which which one is going to have a harder time? Zoom with Google and Microsoft attacking them from both sides right. and Cisco. So you got these three ma major competitors with major footprints already in the space. Mm -hmm. So can they keep their market share from those three now that those three are super highlighted towards it, let's say, or focused on it now when they see Zoom having such great success and any of those three could make it free and make money yeah. from other things. Yeah. And then Twilio is up against Amazon Web Services and to a lesser extent, uh, Azure. But Azure is actually doing really well. So I guess. All right. Well, all right. Now that we've talked this through, I don't think either of those are my safety pick. I think okay. my safety pick Here we go. is Open Door. Oh, I like it. Wow. Why? 
because everybody's always into one houses. All right. Love it. I'm going to go so to a you go open yeah. door. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, hey, you know, you went to your speaking gig. Yeah. Uh, and you saw an incredible company. So we'll, maybe we'll make this our startup of the I day. Did. Sort of. I was just going to say startup of the day. I love startup that. Startup of the day. Tell us, Molly, about yeah. the startup of the day that you saw when you were at. And I'm so proud of you. You're now like, you know, going to be like the bell of the ball, the, the interviewee as opposed to the interviewer. The Welcome interviewee. to the big leagues. And by Boom. the way, you know, I do four speaking gigs a, a year. I get paid a fortune for them. Mm -hmm. uh, you've got a pretty good rate. Uh, and what I'm hoping is like one of these big corporates are like, you know, it would be great if J. Cal and Molly came and we could just secure the bags. We just run right? out there, grab the bags and then bring our squad with us. Package uh, deal? With the package team? deal two for one let's go let's um, go what let's i go. always do when i get those by the way <laughs> you'll experience this so like i had these speaking gigs in japan i got this one over here australia like i just take the money yeah. and i bring like three or four of our team members and we go crazy spending it <gasps> so what a good idea yeah it's good to be rich so oh, we went fine. to australia <laughs> and i rented a yacht like a 40 foot yacht for what? maybe 35 or forty thousand dollars because i had these speaking gigs i was like screw it yeah i don't need the money so I took Prash and a bunch of other folks, uh, sales guy, Matt, uh, shout best. out for selling out Q2. And we went, we got, we dove the great barrier reef. And <gasps> I was like, guys, here's your bucket list. It's on JCal. Then I took him to Japan and we, they didn't stay as a nice old as me, but you know, I took him to Japan. I was like, Hey, anybody want to roll to Japan with JCal? Took a couple of my crew to Japan. We hit everything. We hit every, the best coffee place, the best katsu place, the best tempura place the best sushi place i spent maybe 10 grand on food with these guys we crushed it crushed it that is so awesome man! so much fun it's good to work I for me i'm yeah i'm sorry I'm, I'm only sorry i joined during the pandemic but luckily <laughs> yeah it's gonna know, open up so far for six weeks okay no regrets of leaving is really wonderful though my dad used to say like always that he was always like if you win the lottery in life the first thing you have to do is take everybody you love on the best vacation of their lives absolutely splash and cash is my it. philosophy it's incredible i love it all right so you were at uh so give anyway, a shout yes, out i went to give a shout event. out to the conference you're at yeah yeah these are these are great events this one is called green biz um and and they do a series of events this one was very focused on sustainability professionals so like the cso's and companies and government buyers and people who are trying to basically do esg reporting it was super interesting and I was there because I had judged before I started here, this Verizon Climate Resilience Prize. And so it was a bunch of start. It was great practice because it was December right before I started. And so I got to judge all these startups, take it, you know, read their pitches and try to figure out how to give them this prize. Three of them won because they had three different categories. And they were all really interesting. One is, you know, called Hi-Fi and it's doing stormwater assessment for flood risk and early warning detection and systems for flooding, which is obviously increasingly relevant. Super incredible company around forestry, um, where the founder was formerly incarcerated and worked in the California fire camps in LA, the ah. forestry and fire recruitment program, got out, you know, was a was became an accomplished firefighter while incarcerated and then got out and couldn't get a job. And so put himself through Berkeley figured out how to like cut all these barriers for himself and get a job as a firefighter and now has a company that is is creating a pipeline for formerly incarcerated people to become firefighters in California, but also training them to do all of the stuff we need to do to stop megafires. So forest thinning and better forest management. So cool and so inspiring. And then the one that's just like the the amazing moonshot startup of the day is called Coral Vita. And this is the one I love. Yeah, I mean, this is 
Speaking like, of scuba diving, the Great Barrier Reef. We yeah. got to have some serious conversations with them yeah. as they continue I can't to wait raise. To meet them. Yeah. So they're doing, they call it coral as a service. And they are, yes. which is amazing. They are about creating these coral farms that can grow mm. coral way, way, way faster, regenerate coral reefs. Because apparently coral takes like 30 to 90 years to grow. Mm. And they've figured out systems where they basically stress coral in coral farms to make ah. it grow faster. And then they Genius. transplant it into its native areas, right? They're not taking coral from like one part of the world and trying to transplant it into a different part. They're respecting these complex ecosystems. Yeah, they're using their brains. Got it. Yeah. They're using their brains. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, they, they point out that coral, it's like crucial to tourism, fishery. It absorbs wave energy and protects coasts. It's like got Genius. a million economic add-ons. And so governments... In particular, no are interested in paying for paying them to maintain these farms. They have a whole platform. I, I mean, I could see Australia incredible. spending a hundred million a year on this for ten years. Yep. Um, and if it worked, maybe doubling it because the the amount of tourism generated by the Great Barrier Reef and the importance yep. of the reef uh, is you know it just can't be understated. And this is an amazing new category we're going to see where you know I think young entrepreneurs are looking at the world and saying, "Hey, what did we break?" And then not only how do we fix it, Molly, but I look at this as like, well, what if there were, you know, massive amounts of coral in, you know, uh, you know, off of Long Island, off mm -hmm. of Santa Monica, and because of the shipping lanes in Long Beach or, you know, whatever's going on in New York, you know, the coral just didn't survive. Uh, and it hasn't been there in a large way in 100 years. Like this, this might not be about preserving. This might be about bringing back. Yeah, you know, for the first time, the coral that certainly was in other parts of the world that's gone. And, you know, I, I love the fact that we're now starting to think about fixing stuff. And then what about if we yeah, yeah so yeah. regenerating is great. And then, and then we can start thinking about this opportunistically, like, what are the impacts of coral? And if they you know, if temperatures are changing, because one of the problems I think in Australia is the water temperatures change. So maybe that coral can't exist there. Right. Or like coral right. at, at this average temperature, you know, in, in the mid part of Australia now can only exist a hundred miles north. Mm -hmm. So now you start thinking about our understanding through technology and sensors we could put on the water. We, they could actually know, Hey, the chances of this coral surviving a hundred miles north is going to be twice as good or 200 miles north, or, Hey, this coral is just not going to survive here, but this other place is warming up. So let's drop it there and let's see, we'll do a little experiment there, right? Obviously, you got to yeah. be intelligent about it. But man, this is like nature finds a way and humans doing it. So I mean, we've got to be careful here. Like it's got a little Jurassic Park thing, but the coral's not going to get up and bite <laughs> us. So I, I feel good about this one. It doesn't feel like they're making a megalodon. I don't there think no they are. And that was, uh, to, I asked, right? Like I am always going sci-fi. And so I was like, tell me, talk to me about the I am legend factor here. Like if you're <laughs> breeding super coral, like these are really complex because, you know. Yeah. And what was interesting is that they, the guy I talked to is an advisor to the company. His brother is the CEO. And he was like, huh. Yeah. No one's really asked me about that before, yeah. hasn't it? And I was like, I'm sorry, what? Like who are your investors? But yeah. he said, that is, they've certainly had those conversations. You know, he was like, we'll put you in touch sure. with the science team. Yeah. We're having these, you know, they're not genetically modified, modified coral to be. In other words, if they, if somebody accident, if some kid, you know, takes these or a glow, an eco-terrorist drops them into San Francisco Bay 
It's not going to fill the bay with coral that's 100 feet above the waterline and destroy the bay. Exactly. Although that would kind of look cool. Probably. Just kidding. Probably, (laughs) maybe not. (laughs) When we have out of control coral, (laughs) we'll ask them about the out of control coral. But no, it really is. It's super interesting. And it brought up something, you know, that regeneration idea that I had not heard talked about particularly. We got to get the, this guy, the former CEO of Unilever Mm. has a book about being regenerative. He's Mm. just like, forget carbon neutral. That's a waste of time. Net zero, waste of time. We have to regenerate. And it was just so interesting and cool. And then people are so, I mean, it was so inspiring to be there. Like people are so engaged and clever and creative. Let me ask you a a, a candid question. Awesome. When you were just a journalist Mm -hmm. uh, and now you're a journalist kind of plus investor, how has your optimism, pessimism ratio changed, if at all? Oh, God, so much. I mean, really, I am. I've always been a solutions oriented person, which is why I was drawn to the idea of client, right? I'm just like, wait, we have tech, like fix this. Tech has saved humanity every other time. Fire, wheel, (laughs) penicillin. But now, no, it's through the roof. It is through the roof. Like I spent the whole time at this conference being like, I can't, I don't remember the last time I loved a job this much. It is so thrilling. Every single day to talk to people who are just like, oh, I have an idea for this. Instead of I have a complaint about this or I've like taken apart all of the ways that this could go horribly wrong. And granted, yes, I did ask about the I am legend thing, the coral, because yeah, it's useful. Uh, It's a diligence question. To know what could go. But like to talk about what is possible instead of what is impossible. Yeah. Like that all by itself is just it's game changing. I think it's a disjoint every day. Yeah, I think it's the disjoint between I think a lot of members of our society, especially influential ones on Twitter, is you've got one group of people, you know, who see all the potential all day long. Yeah. And then when I was a journalist, at least your email box is firing off like, hey, you know, this company's screwing up. Hey, this bad thing's happening in the world. Why aren't you covering this? Why aren't you covering this? And you're just inundated and I'm not making a judgment call because we you and I have done both jobs. Mm-hmm. And so now there's like, it's not just me, but you also have an experience of really what's incoming to a journalist and I, and I have sympathy for this as a journalist, you can get pretty negative. Yeah, because all it's like being a police officer, you know, like if the police are getting called, it's because something's bad has happened in somebody's mind, they call 911. They're not getting called because they're like, Oh, my God, this person got an A on their report card, we're having a party want to come right. over? And it's like, no, somebody did something terrible, or it's, it's the worst moment in their life. Come try and help us mitigate the worst moment in this person's life. Kind of what journalism has turned into in a lot of cases. Um, it's like, you know, hey, this company screwed up. Hey, you know, this failed. And, and I, I just yeah. encourage people to, you know, try to find that balance, you know. Um, and there's a good point for us to just uh, bring up if you go to the syndicate.com slash climate, uh, Molly and I are now running the syndicate together, uh, just like my syndicate, the syndicate.com. And um, we're hoping that if you're accredited investor, you sign up. And if that coral company sounds interesting to you, like our firm might put 25, 50, 100K into it as a seed investment. And then we might have 250K or 500K left over. On average, the average syndicate investor, and there's 9,500 members of them in my syndicate, I think 3000 in the SAS syndicate and, uh, you know, the climate syndicate hopefully will grow to 1000. That's a good number uh, to sort of get started with deals is when you get to 500 to 1000, you'll have enough folks to if 10% choose to do a deal. Uh, the average check size is only 7000. So if you're a rich person or an affluent person making over 200,000 a year, you can look up the accreditation laws we will help you with that you can sign up the syndicate.com slash climate, we're going to make a bunch of bets most are going to fail. And then our hope is one out of 10, one out of 20, maybe return more than 
<laughs> 10x or 20x. That is the name of the game. Uh, only invest money you can afford to lose, yada, yada. But if you're a rich person, I'm guessing a $7,000 investment is like a third of your uh, vacation when you, you know, buy business class tickets. So you're kind of, and you can place a bet as small as I think our minimum is 4,000. And we let people place, you know, if they ask, and there's room, we'll let them place as little as a thousand. So for an mm. accredited investor, that's, that's a nice dinner with a couple of friends, yeah. uh, typically, or that's, you know, one night in a hotel, uh, if you're staying at a nice hotel. So uh, I'm excited about that as well. Hopefully, we'll have our first deal March, I think would be a good goal, if we can get I a deal so. out of March. And I, you've got met with, I, think, I got some more options for you. You've met with 30 companies already. Uh, I, and so, with, I think I'm up to 40 now. Perfect. And I told you, like, I think it takes about 50 companies to kind of get your legs under you. Yeah. Uh, so you're starting to get a feel for it, right? I think. I think so. Yes, yeah. I am starting to be a lot more discerning. I definitely wanted to invest in like everything, every, everything immediately. Yeah. <laughs> and everything that I read, you know, I'm like, now I'm reading this big Wiley textbook about venture chem continuing my homework in various yeah. places. And they all say the same thing. They're just like, oh, yeah, no, you're just a dumb dumb and you want to invest in everything. And I'm like, okay, that's true. It is the, that's true. you know. I always tell people founders, the great ones, uh, all either self-select for charisma or they mm -hmm. quickly, you know, uh, sharpen that uh, skill. And so they're very charismatic when they pitch because uh, they have to be because uh, all they're doing is selling people on their idea, customers, employees, and investors and the press. Cool. And, so, and then on top of that, they're all sitting here telling me how they're going to save the world. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty it's really, pretty compelling pitch. It's yeah. really hard to walk away from. Yeah, especially that. if you started a podcast, how we survive. <laughs> My God, you're exactly. so dystopian, Molly. Like these, it's over. These people are like, here's there's, how we survive. I'm like, oh my God. There's a one percent chance we survive. Follow no, me on Mollywood. I'm not saying we're all gonna go. It's just gonna be real ugly. And, yeah. yeah. Well, um, you know, it's, listen, it's now thrilling. you can actually And I'm place developing bets. a thesis. I'm oh. developing a filter. Ah. A set of filters. Maybe we can talk about this in Sunday VC school. It's not even a Goldilocks zone. It's more like a filter for evaluating impact, long-term impact. Oh, I love it. Well, that's great. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I'm you... Write it up. Yeah, I think yeah, writing culture, good too. Um, one of the things that investing at its best is about is like creating these mental models is the term a lot of VCs use, which is like, I got all the information. I've constructed this startup, its product, its customers, the market, the future, its competitors. And it's all in my mind. And I'm looking at it like in 3D and moving it around like in Minority Report with the gloves or, you know, like Tony Stark moving stuff around. And you're kind of like understanding the chessboard from all angles and each piece and what's going to happen in three or four moves. And then some heuristics emerge. And the one that always worked for me was like, you know, we back builders, we, we back people who make great products. Yeah. And if we back people who make great products, we'll see that product changing in real time. And then they also tend to be really good at about debating issues in a really intellectually honest way. And so anytime I talk to Travis or Elon or, you know, Vlad or Robinhood or Alex at come, when you start talking to them, they really understand why they're doing what they're doing. And they're like helping you build your mental model up in your brain. And you'll start to see that like the Coral Company, if it is actually a, a really possible possibility like your mind is going to all of a sudden understand like yeah there's a government agency that'll pay for this they mm -hmm. have no choice oh there's other agencies that will follow that will follow australia if australia goes for it because it's they're dependent on oh, mexico might not go for it the plan car reef is doing fine but these other places belize will be behind them and then there's opportunistic people oh what if they could put these in fish tanks like you know that people do at home or fish tanks at aquariums you know like, all these things will start popping into your head 
This is why, by the way, don't you want Jason on your board? I mean, I'm just saying, like, the the yeah. nap, the ease with which you ideate is kind of a joy to watch. Well, I'll tell you how that happened. Not to be all, you know, flattery. Well, uh, it wasn't always that way. But uh, when you spend your entire life as a journalist, I think it's really good training because you are asking those questions and you're building the mental model. And then you've done 50 meeting, 40, 50 meetings in two months. All of a sudden, your brain is just used to filling in things right mm -hmm. so you're constructing the model and let's say you didn't understand um their customer base that was what i was thinking about well who's the customer base for this coral company right. and i just started thinking okay well obviously australia they got the most acute issue okay mexico maybe maybe not i think the plant reef's doing okay okay there's got to be other people who have smaller budgets in australia right where else would coral exist is the first thing that came to my mind or where mm -hmm. could it exist and then i immediately thought about aquariums and then i thought about home well, what if they get really good at making these and people could put a coral aquarium, if they owned a beach house, they could throw it out in front of their house, you know, and then you yeah. had mentioned, oh, well, coral is really good for seawalls. So then I immediately thought, well, what's the budget for a seawall? That sounds super expensive. Well, if we're going to do the seawall, and that's going to be a billion dollars to do what Amsterdam did or what Venice is going to have to do around Florida and South Beach and Miami. Mm -hmm. Well, if it's going to cost a billion dollars to put Miami behind a seawall, or many billion, maybe 10 billion, maybe we should drop $100 million worth of coral in a pilot program and see what happens over the next two years, because we're not building yeah. that seawall for 10 years. So let's start doing the coral now. And if it works, well, okay, great. Yep. So totally. It's like filling in the mental model. There'll be pieces you don't understand. It's like a, a map, and you're missing a piece of the map, or it's a formula and there's like a variable in there and you're just like, okay, let me plug some numbers into the variable and see what I learn. Mm -hmm. I, I, for some reason, I did very well at math when I was a kid, even though I didn't do good in the classes, but when I took standardized tests and the technique I came up with was I would, when there was a variable, I would just put numbers into it and do the equation and write it down. So I almost brute forced it, right? Huh. So they'd be like, oh, here's a number here. So I'd be like, okay, put the number 10 in, put the number 100 in, put the number three in. And then I would just put it in and then I would tri triangulate around the answer. And then my mind would, okay, yeah, it's going to be somewhere between that these makes numbers. Sense. Yeah. Like that's how I do back of the envelope math constantly. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway. No, that makes sense. I, 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 similar. But, similar. Well, it's pat at some point it's pattern recognition. And when yes. you talk to enough entrepreneurs who are telling you their big, their moonshot idea that's related to this, then you start to ask every other entrepreneur, well, what's your big idea related to this? And if they don't seem to have that, then that's a filter already. But also there's the like, you can see the geometry outcome, even if you can't prove your work. That was my version of what you just said around math, which is like, yo, no, I got the answer because I like, I really like pool. <laughs> All right, let's take two but quick questions. Anyway, yeah, let's do that. Once again, the syndicate.com slash climate. And now I'll take two questions from our uh, live audience. I don't know if this will make it into the program or not. Probably not because we're at 75 minutes, but give us a quick question here. Uh, hey, Jason, uh, OG Bob GS, what did you learn from the book industry? What was your process like? What I learned from the book industry is they produce um, X number of books per year. So like a venture capitalist or angel investor, they have a portfolio. They don't expect the majority of books to pay back uh, the advances they give. Uh, they expect one out of every 30 or 40 to be a breakout and make up for the other uh, ones that didn't break out. Mm. And so mm -hmm. they also if they're producing uh, 100 books a year, and they have a marketing department, that marketing department has two books a week to do, which means you get three days of promotion. And so I owned my own promotion, we got to 4000 books sold in the first week, if I had hit like 6000, I think I would have been a bestseller. So maybe I should have put a little more oomph behind it. But uh, 
the book did incredibly well, went to 11 languages for a very niche book. And so what I learned from it is the author is responsible for the marketing and promotion most of all, and the publisher will help you with that. And I think writing books is a great thing to do if you're an expert on the subject and a great writer and you have a passionate for it. And so what I see in the Venn diagram of books, Molly, is a group of people who are not knowledgeable. Like, so if you had knowledge and ability to write, mm-hmm. I felt like I'm a great writer. People love my writing um, and I've honed it over decades and I have a certain writing style that's authentic to me. It's very like funny and casual and blunt and you know, a little like provocative. Talk. It's like yeah. I talk. So I have a voice, but I didn't always have that. It took me decades. If you read my articles from the 90s, it's not even close. But I feel like I'm a great writer and I know more than almost anybody about angel investing or I'm in Mm -hmm. the top five or 10 people in the world in that. What I find is people can't write and they're not a knowledge subject model expert. Yeah. So most of the books I get suck badly. And then a book like Frank's- At some point in your career, everybody tells you you have to write a book. And so then people just like poop this thing out and- It's it's just that. It's just that. Thank you for that analogy. Sorry. But no, if you look at Frank Slo- uh, Slotman's book, which Frank w- from- uh, Snowflake. Snowflake was on the pod. It was like, what a great episode. He didn't talk about things he was an expert. He talked about running a company like a capitalist, hardcore, wartime CEO. He yep. did not talk about culture. He did, uh, you know, or culture like in the Netflix sense. He didn't talk about- you know, uh, you know, stuff that was out of his zone of excellence. And whoever wrote it with him, I think he probably had somebody wrote it in, in his voice in a very candid fashion, felt that same way about Aaron's book and Patty McCord's book. They're experts. Yep. And if you're an expert and you're an okay writer, it's a good read. If you're a great writer and not an expert, it's not a good read. And you, what you're really going for is how good of a, and I think that's why Michael Lewis uh, or Michael Crichton um are two of my favorite authors uh, and they resonate with me because they became subject matters experts on whatever they were talking about and they just wrote so well just really mm-hmm. fast moving you know prose uh i think michael crichton i'm gonna go back and read michael Crichton because i want to do a fiction book at some point it's a great question uh, anybody got a question for molly uh or one more question for us we'll rip it out real quick and I am writing the other book. I'm 20% done. Jace Lee, just as a comment, says, so hyped for the Climate Syndicate as an investor and founder. Oh, fantastic. Love All it. right, Beard Script. Is it okay to look for offers when raising your very first round for a pre-revenue startup? Should you know exactly how much you wish to raise? Great question. I love when a founder says, I'm raising a million dollars. I have a plan to deploy it over 24 months. Uh, if we deploy it, we'll go from 100,000 in revenue to 800,000 in revenue. And uh, we'd like 10, we'd like to sell 10% of the company for that million dollars. It basically just makes the conversation move to second or third base. Easy. Easy. Just easy peasy. Easy peasy. So I love that. Um, Now, some people just say like to go to market, if you have a really strong company, really great pedigree, you could ask people and just not negotiate yourself. Hey, we'd like you to determine what you think is fair. Um, And I've seen founders do that with me. And, you know, I, I always push back three or four times to try to get an idea. If, if, if you're not going to give me the valuation, just how much money do you want to deploy? And, and what will you achieve after you deploy that money? So I, I kind of feel like that's a good discipline question. Um, but great question. Two great questions from two of our great Nodi members. Let's read the intro. This is a great episode. Right. I know this is so good. Hey, maybe leave the questions in this time, Nick. Make it a long episode. Give the people what they want. <laughs>